If you don't know, there's like 58 different times in the New Testament that we are told to do something to each other. And so that's where we get the idea of this each other series. But I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a master-planned community. Have you ever heard that phrase before, a master plan or a planned community? What it is, it's a community that is carefully planned from its inception, and it's typically constructed on undeveloped land. It's a brand new community that is planned out, that is master planned. When I was working residential construction, uh, I mainly worked in the area of Vallejo, California, where a particular general contractor that my dad's company was subcontracting from, uh, we were building residential homes in the area, and they built several planned communities throughout um, Northern California. Um, the, the one I was at, I said, was in Vallejo, California, and it included townhomes, it, which were zero lot lines, if you know anything about construction, uh, single-family homes, and then semi-custom homes. These pictures are actually uh, some of the homes that we worked on. Um, uh, this one right here is in Clayton, uh, Clayton, California. And, and what's interesting about plant communities is they're always built around parks, libraries, schools, rec centers, tennis courts. This, this particular one was built around two golf courses in the area. Um, so it, it's, it's an amazing thing to be a part of a planned community. You may not know this, but Claremont was a planned community back in the 50s. Um, you can Google this. I, that's what I did. In 1950, Carlos Tavares and Lou Bergener developed what, what uh, became San Diego's largest post-war subdivision. They named it Claremont. You know how they got the name Claremont? Tavares' wife's name was Claire. And so they named it after his wife, and people started living in this community, this new community of Claremont, in 1951. In fact, the design of this new community represented a new concept because it didn't use the traditional grid systems of, of blocks and streets. Instead, it had winding streets and scenic view lots because they were taking advantage of the mesa. They were taking advantage of the rolling hills, um, uh, the canyons, those spaces. And the first homes that were built in this area were customized floor plans, which was unheard of in the 50s. Usually it was cookie-cutter kind of homes, but they were really stepping out and doing something different. And since Claremont would be removed from San Diego City proper, commercial business, retail shopping, schools, libraries, and other city amenities were designed into the overall planned community. So basically, we are, it was called in that day, a village in a city. We are a community that is pretty much self-sufficient the way it was designed to be self-sufficient um, other than malls, let's say. We have Claremont Square, but other than that, um, we're pretty, we've pretty much got everything we need, right? And you that live in Claremont or near Claremont, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but Claremont was approved by San Diego on October 18, 1950, and between 52 and 54, get this, seven homes a day were built, between 52 and 54. That's a lot of homes. Man, I tell you, that's a lot of homes. So within a few years, several thousands uh, of homes have been constructed, um, including single-family homes, duplexes, and apartments. And so it became, Claremont became the largest development of its kind in the country. Bet you didn't know all that history about Claremont, huh? Pretty amazing. It's truly suburban living, which was state-of-the-art concept. Uh, during that time period. Now, here's what's amazing. Here's the segue. The church, the body of Christ, the church is designed to be 
a planned community. Hmm. And just like uh, any community, there are rules that regulate how people live together uh, in that community, and specifically in the church, how we are to live together, live with each other as followers of Jesus. And actually, there's actually only one rule, right? Jesus sets up the rule for us. It's on your outline. It's going to be on the screen. Look at what Jesus says to his closest followers. I give you a new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. All people will know that you are my followers. If you, read those last three words with me, love each other. If you love each other, all people will know that you're my followers if you love each other. So get this down on your outline. We show we follow Jesus by how we love each other. Come on, say it with me. We show we follow Jesus by how we love each other. Yeah, it's true. Your love for each other confirms that you have a faith, a real faith in Jesus Christ. And as we have seen throughout this series over the last several weeks, there are many expressions for this one rule in our new community. And today we look at what the Apostle Paul talks about. He wrote so much about how to express this loving of each other throughout the New Testament. Take a look at what he says in Romans 15. Accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that God will be given glory. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. You know, all of us have a tendency to fall into one of two extremes. Either we um, lean towards this hardline judgmental rejection of anything that isn't just like us, or we have this open-ended approval of just about anything. We either lean towards being judgmental, or we have this open approval of anything. It's funny that in most churches, there's a lean a bent, a natural inclination towards being judgmental. Is that interesting? There's this list of do's and don'ts, and acceptance is based on what you do or what you don't do. And most of the time, the list isn't even biblical. I mean, the list is, if anything, preferential. Even in Jesus' day, the religious placed rules and judgment on people. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 11. Jesus says, you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. You don't enter the kingdom yourself and you prevent others from entering it. Hmm. It's a sad commentary. Not just about Jesus' day, about you would call it the church in Jesus' day or church people in Jesus' day. But it's a sad commentary about how church is today or at least how church is perceived today. Because so many, honestly, so many people have turned away from church because of this judgmental attitude that church people have. See, for the church to be the body of Christ, we must, like Paul says, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Do you see the qualifier there? Just as Christ has accepted you. We we have got to drink in deeply this aspect of Jesus' heart. Our acceptance of each other has got to be based on on the example that Jesus set for us of acceptance of us, following the example of the way Jesus accepts you and me, I've got to learn to be accepting of other people. 
We've got to learn to be accepting of others just as Jesus accepts us. Now, what's interesting is Paul personally knew this. We, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago in our, one of our studies, that Paul knew what it was like to not be accepted by church people. If you recall, Paul, a.k.a. Saul in the New Testament in the beginning part of the book of Acts, was a Jewish religious leader who had a history of chasing the followers of Jesus, throwing them into jail, and overseeing their executions. We read in Acts 9 that Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation in the arrest of any followers he found there. So he was hot on their trail. And on his way to carry out these orders, this persecution in the city, in the area of Damascus, Saul experienced Jesus in a very up-close and personal way. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. And his life was radically changed, but no one in the church believed it. We read in verse 26, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Church people didn't accept Paul. Church people rejected Paul. So Paul knew what it was like to be rejected, to not be accepted by others. So in our text of Romans 15, we're coming to the end of this long teaching that Paul is doing in this letter, this letter that was written to Jesus' followers in the city of Rome. And, and actually, Romans 16 is the end of the letter. So we're, we're right at the end of this letter, Romans 15, and Paul has been instructing Jesus' followers about doctrine, about theology, and then he turns it to practice, and he begins to tell them how to live with each other, how they are to relate to people who don't follow Jesus, plus he tells them how to relate to each other within the the church, and then he calls Jesus' followers to accept each other, like we just read in verse 7, even if they are very different from each other. Look what he says in verse 8. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews. Circle that word Jews on your outline. Servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made. Jesus also came so that the Gentiles, circle that word Gentiles, we'll circle back to this in just a minute, the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. So there were two distinct groups, the Jews and everyone else, but the term that the Bible uses, the New Testament uses for everyone else, is the term Gentiles, or we, we would call it non-Jews. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I would say the majority of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, would fall into the category of non-Jew or Gentile. And so in this situation, Paul is talking to two different groups. He's speaking to two different groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is where the rub comes in the first century church, the early church. There was enormous cultural and background differences that existed between these two groups, Jews and Gentiles. I mean, think about the Jews for just a minute. The Jews could trace their religious heritage for 50 generations. They had a legacy of following God. And for over a thousand years, the Jews had been called by God to be set apart in their dress, 
in their diet, in their lifestyle. They were grounded and lived out the moral law of God. They were conservative religious people who only ate kosher. They carefully observed Jewish holy days. They had been taught from childhood not to defile themselves with any contact with Gentile people. And they probably thought that the Gentiles were loose living pagans. But on the flip side, you have Gentiles, non-Jews who had come to Jesus, a belief of faith in Jesus Christ, and they were in the same church. These were probably people who formerly worshipped at idol temples. They had no attachment to the Old Testament scripture, Jewish laws. They had no problem eating any kind of food. They didn't eat kosher. They ate anything. And they probably thought that the Jews were legalistic and hyper-religious. So the biggest struggle of the early church was this tension between the Jews, and I'm going to call them today long-time church people, and the Gentiles, new-to-church people. And now these two groups are part of the same congregation, and getting along <laughs> was going to be hard, wasn't it? Getting along was going to take work to accept each other, like Paul was talking about, so that they would belong to each other in the local church. I mean, basically, Paul is saying the person that you are to accept is precisely the person who is radically different than you are in almost every way. Let me ask you a question. How well do you do that? I mean, are you a natural accepting kind of person when you come across somebody who is radically different than you in every possible way? Do you naturally accept them and want to be around them? Good question. See, although Jesus was a Jew and the first Christians were all Jews, God never intended for Christianity to be limited to just Jews. So this tells us something about God's heart, and I want you to get this down. This is important truth here. It kind of underlies all of this, that God, God's heart is big, and he wants to include everyone. Read it with me. God's heart is big, and he wants to include everyone. I mean, you probably know this verse. Jesus said in John three sixteen, God gave his one and only son so that, what's that word? Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Everyone. The Apostle John, in writing about heaven, in a vision that he had about heaven, look at what John writes in the book of Revelation chapter 7. I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne. And they were shouting, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne. Don't miss this. A crowd too big to count with people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group. God wants to include everyone. So Paul calls us, to accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, read that last part with me, so that God will be given glory. Now, how does that work? So that God will be given glory. See, Paul understands nothing about this individualistic spirituality that we have in our day today. 
He, he, he says that in order to glorify God, there has to be a togetherness, that we need each other to honor God together. But everything changes when, when we all of a sudden have to accept each other and there's a mix that goes on in this togetherness. I want you to picture something with me, if you would. Picture an orchestra that's warming up before a concert, okay? If you've ever been to a, a symphony or something like that, and they're beginning to warm up and tune up the instruments, isn't it amazing the, the amount of noise and the chaos that is in the room at that moment, and then all the instruments are playing their scales and they're tuning, they're doing their own thing, but everything changes when the conductor does what? He taps the music stand with his baton, right? And he holds it up. He's ready to begin. And all the instruments wait for his lead, to follow his lead. Suddenly the chaos stops. And every eye is on the conductor. And when he brings the baton down, the music starts. What, what has been unconnected noise now becomes music. Beautiful music. Following the same conductor, the, the very different instruments blend together on the same song. And this is what the church is supposed to be like. The church produces a symphony of praise that glorifies God that the world sees. I mean, the the thing that gets God glory in the world is the world looking at the church and saying about the church, how do those people get along with each other? I mean, come on, let's be real. We are way different from each other. Our backgrounds, our experiences, our habits, our quirks and quacks and everything else about us, we, we are different we are not like one another. Some shouldn't even like each other, right? They're, we are all different colors, all different cultures, all different backgrounds. Some of us come from rich backgrounds, poor backgrounds. Some of us have been following Jesus for a long time. Some of us have just got started yesterday in this whole thing. Some of us grew up in church. Some of us have never done church before. Some of us are Republicans. Some of us are Democrats. Some of us are whatever we want to call ourselves. And despite all of this crazy diversity... Paul says, accept each other. Hmm. See, it's, it's unity with diversity that glorifies God. And the world takes notice. All the world will know that you are my followers if you love each other. When we accept each other, God is honored. And yet, let's be real. This is counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, this, this goes against our natural instinct to be that kind of accepting. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. This Greek word, accept, I want you to circle it on your outline. This word is so full of meaning. It, it means, get this, it means seeing another person and opening your arms to them. Wow. I think there are two ways um, that I need to work on. And I think 
for us as a church and for you as a follower of Jesus. There's two ways that we can work on this idea of accepting to, so that we would do like what Paul is saying, so that in our minds we would see someone and we would open our arms to them even if they are different than we are. There's two things. I want you to get these down in your outline and then we're done. To accept someone, I must acknowledge them. To accept someone, I must acknowledge them. I got to tell you something, acknowledging people is something that we need to work on. Acknowledging people is something that has changed in our culture in my lifetime. And I'm not too old. It has changed. I remember as a kid um, being in a store, wherever we were as a family, and people would acknowledge each other. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. It wasn't just the greeter of the store. It wasn't just the cashier, you know, or, or the barista at Starbucks. Hey, welcome to Starbucks. Half the time, I don't know if you've even noticed, they're so trained to do it, they don't even look up. They know the door opened and they're still doing their, hey, welcome to Starbucks. They don't even look your way. They're so trained to do that. It's because we live in a culture that doesn't acknowledge people anymore. We just walk right past. It, it, interesting little thing that I came across, you may have heard this before. Have you ever heard of the Walton 10-foot rule? Anybody ever heard of that before? Sam Walton, does that ring a bell? Do you know who Sam Walton is? He's, he's the founder of Walmart. Sam Walton taught Walmart employees that if they come within 10 feet of a customer, they were to smile, make eye contact, greet the customer, and offer assistance. Smile, make eye contact, greet the customer, and offer assistance. Now, that doesn't always happen in every Walmart that I've been in, and maybe not for you either. But in principle, in theory, that's pretty amazing. And so when I read this several years ago, when I read this, um, this kind of pressed in on me. I don't know what kind of personality type you are, but I'm a task-oriented kind of personality type. And so um, if, if I'm going to a store, what I've got on my mind is not to talk to people. Let's back up. When I go to the gym, I'm not going to the gym to talk to people. Now, you go with my wife. My wife goes with me occasionally during the week in the mornings, and she goes to talk to people. She's not in the room, so I can talk about her, okay, uh, and not get in trouble. But she goes. It's, it's a social thing. I go to work out. I'm on a mission, and maybe this is a guy-girl thing, difference. I don't know. Sorry, ladies, but maybe it is. I don't know, but my wife is a social butterfly, so she kind of talks and I'm just get out of my way I'm going to the treadmill now get my you know earphones in and I'm and I'm going I'm not there to talk I'm task driven probably to a downfall because if I'm not careful I can walk right past you and not say anything to you and so a couple of years ago when I came across the 10 foot rule I said you know God I need to work on this. I need to work on acknowledging people. That, that, that when I come into that space, when they come into my space, my 10-foot circle, I, I need to acknowledge them. Now, I haven't got perfect in this, but the other day we were walking, and this guy walked by. Didi and I were at a place, and this guy walked by, and I said, hey, how you doing? Having a good day? He goes, uh, yeah, yeah, I am, thanks. And he keeps walking. I'm, I'm, I'm working on this. Because I think we live in a culture where people need to be acknowledged. 
Did you hear me? If, if you want to develop relationships with people, I do. We have to start acknowledging people and make sure that they cannot be in the room with us without being acknowledged. You and I both, we need to work on this. We pay attention. I, I, I find this interesting in churches. And this is the third church, really the fourth church that Didi and I have served at for over 30 years now, full-time ministry. And, and um, we, we pay attention to the people we already know. Isn't that interesting? You say, well, yeah, of course. I mean, that's who you would gravitate to. And my, I guess my question is, why? Because it's comfortable? Hmm. I think we, start, we need to start acknowledging people around us. Second thing, to accept someone, I must welcome them. So not only acknowledging them, acknowledging that they're in the room, but I need to welcome them. It's interesting that the word accept in the original Greek is, is, could be swapped out with the word welcome. So, so Paul is not just saying accept each other. He's saying welcome each other. Now I'm going to take this a step further. In the New Testament, it also says that we should greet one another with a holy, anybody know what I'm going, where I'm going here? Kiss. Now I know this is a cultural thing and it's a Middle Eastern thing really in, in that day. But I don't know if you've ever been around people who do that. I, I always, I, I don't think there's any ladies that do it to me now, but we used to have ladies in the church that would like me to kiss them on the cheek and they'd turn their cheek. And I, and I always struggled with that because I was never raised that way. It was, this, it was like, you're not my wife or my daughters. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't really know what to do if I'm really supposed to kiss you or just like air kiss you. You know, you know that kind, I don't know what to do. It was really awkward. And then like, like Paul is talking about, hang on, men, and I understand this is a cultural thing, but, okay, so let's take the culture out of it. How, how are we doing at welcoming each other that warmly? Everybody follow me on that? Because I would say we're not doing very good. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, hi, bye. Sometimes we don't even touch, right? It's just like, is that a welcome? Hmm. I, th I think we need to take this a little bit further. Now, I'm not saying you need to get all huggy-huggy because I'm not a huggy-huggy person either, right? But we need to determine how we can warmly welcome each other. Have you ever been welcomed into a room in a group setting that just blew you away? You walk into the room and there's like people like, hey, good to see you, Bart, I'm glad you're here. How does it make you feel? You just walk in and go, wow. It's like a breath of fresh air. Like somebody just lifted me on their shoulders and I'm being paraded into the room, right? What, what if when we came to church, we had people that welcomed us that much? Now, I'm not, I'm not just talking about greeters, our greeters do a great job. Bill, Ka, you guys do a great job at making us feel welcome. But what if being a greeter at church is all of our jobs? Hmm. That sure changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm a watcher. I'm a people watcher. And I watch you. And I see when you come into church. You know what most of us do? Where's my seat? Oh, somebody's in my seat. Okay. 
uh, okay, I'm going to sit here and I got to cross over here. Okay, I'm going to get in my seat. <sighs> it's going to start. No, they're late. <laughs> right? Come on. That's what we do. We think, hold on, we think church is for us. But what if we began to think that church is for the people sitting around me and I will play a role in their life because God's going to use me to help them feel accepted today and welcomed. Accept means to warmly welcome. To, we, we, we are called to do this. It, it can be so easy for us, to, especially in churches, to become exclusive. We can, we can become ingrown. We can, we can be closed to outsiders, sometimes making it next to impossible for outsiders to feel you know, welcomed. We gather on Sundays. It's easy to focus on our already friends and, and because we don't see them during the week. And, and I, I used to have friends and I still have friends. They, they say, we love you, but we're not going to talk to you on Sunday because we know you're here for everybody else. It's like, hmm. Maybe all of us need to approach our already friends that way on Sundays. Hey, I'm going to hang out with you during the week, but on Sundays, I'm going to make friends with other people. Love you, but I'm not going to talk to you today. See, what we fail to realize, this is big. This, this changed. In my lifetime, this has changed. We fail to realize that people are looking to belong before they believe. See, in years past, people were, they would believe first and then they would kind of feel like they belong and they're apart. But now people, maybe you, are looking to belong. You want to be accepted. You want to feel like you were a part before you're ever going to entertain the values and the beliefs of that group, of that church. Before you're ever going to commit to something, before you're ever going to think spiritually, a person is looking to belong, to be accepted. I've discovered that in a church of any size, and I've been in all sizes of churches, it's easy for people to come week after week after week and never feel like they belong, even in our small church. All too often, those of us who have been here at Pathway Church for a while, we forget how hard it is to feel like you don't belong. Hmm. All of us at some point have a circumstance. Do you remember the time when you felt like you weren't accepted? Whether it was a church or a group or school or at work or wherever, you, you felt like you were an outsider, that you were excluded, that you were not a part, you didn't feel like you belonged. You know that kind of ostracism that takes place. You know those feelings. But, but when we accept the reality that another human being is not only our equal but belongs in our family, in our group, in our church. Friends, I'm telling you, it will change us. It will bring us back to what Jesus said about loving each other. It'll affect us. 
If we are to love each other, we've got to accept each other. So get this down. We can't love each other without accepting each other. And how are we going to do that? Acknowledging and welcoming. You may have heard of the theologian, philosopher, pastor, author, Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was a guy that, um, honestly, he, he shaped the spiritual landscape of the 20th century. The things that he wrote, the things that he taught were amazing. One of the things that he taught was, was speaking into the life of Jesus' followers, into the life of a local church. And this is what he wrote. If we do not show beauty in the way we treat each other, then in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of our own children, we are destroying what we proclaim. It's so important for us as Jesus followers, but listen to me, if you are a regular here at Pathway Church, it is so important for us as Pathway Church to be a place where we can be accepted, where we can be accepted for who we are, and then challenged to become more like Jesus every day. And we want others to feel that same acceptance and be a part of who we are. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for this strong word of accepting. And these two ideas are going to help us this week to acknowledge and to welcome. Maybe we've already come into this room and, and, and we're realizing, you know what, I didn't even do this. I, I, I didn't even do either one of these things. When I came in, I just came in thinking that, that this was for me and, and my focus was on getting in here. And, and I didn't even think about anybody else around me. But now I'm thinking about people around me. And Jesus, there, there are people around me that are looking to belong. They feel like they're on the outside. And what you're telling me what you're telling us as a church is for them to, to feel accepted. That's our responsibility. Wow. To think, Jesus, that we would have people in our church, right here at Pathway Church, that, that don't feel like they belong. This isn't right. This isn't good. This is not who you've called us to be as the body of Christ, the church. And so today, first off, we confess to you, Jesus. We, we have made church and worship and this whole Christianity thing, we've made it about us, about me, it's not supposed to be that way. I've, I've allowed people to, to be in my circle and not acknowledge them. There have been people that I have walked by and I have not warmly welcomed them. And this bothers me. It bothers us. So Jesus, we confess to you. And then we ask for you to help us change. 
Jesus, I ask that this would bother us so much that it would become like a holy discontent in us. That, that when we walk by someone, that Holy Spirit, you would trigger it in our mind that, hey, you just, bar- you just walked by that person and didn't say a thing. That you, would, that you would check us, that you would hold us up, cause us to pause in what we're doing and where we're going with our everyday busyness and that we would realize that, that you're asking us, asking of us more than the way we're living now. So change me, God. Help me to acknowledge people. Help me to to welcome them so that they feel like they belong, that they're accepted. Change my heart. Change my perspective. Change us as a church, God. We don't want to be a church where people don't feel like they belong. We, we don't want to create any barrier that would keep them away from you. Change us. We pray it in your name. Amen. Listen, this is not just a principle for in the church, and we're talking about specifically, you know, each other. But this is a principle for everyday life. I don't care where you are. There are people around you that feel like they are not accepted in life. And, and you know what I'm talking about. You, you may even know who I'm talking about. I mean, in your mind, there's a coworker, there's a friend, there's a, there's a neighbor, whatever, that's coming to mind already. And you're like, that's them. And, and, and they struggle with this and you can see it. And maybe they, maybe they are hurt by it, whatever, whatever the case, to think that we could play a role in being someone who would help them come to a point of acceptance in life. This is, this is not just a spirituality issue. This is a human issue, right? I mean, this, this is something that people in our culture struggle with. And so tomorrow, maybe today, if you're going to work today, whatever, but let's just say tomorrow, Monday, and we're getting ready for school and all that kind of stuff coming up real quick here. But tomorrow, what if... What if you were to say, okay, one day this week, tomorrow, Monday, I'm going to make it my day where I acknowledge everybody that walks in a 10-foot closeness to me, that everybody that comes through, I'm going to acknowledge them. I wonder what it would do for people around you. We got this little puppy. I don't know if you've seen pictures of our little Brody. Um, you guys know we lost um, our three-year-old dog not too long ago. Brody's like, what is this, four weeks now with us? Something like that. He is really helping us. Like, the best advice ever, Bill. Bill said to me that Sunday after we lost Toby, Bill said, get another one. It'll help you. <laughs> and so we did. And um, the cool thing about Brody, and it, it is anybody that, of our family that walks into the room, they can be upstairs, they come downstairs. He runs to greet them. Everybody that comes in the room, he right? He's, He's like, he's the only dog we've ever had that greets everybody the same. And the other night, I was thinking about this message, and I saw him doing this. Everybody that came in the room, he's greeting Caleb, and now he's greeting Bryce, and now Brooke comes out, he's greeting Brooke. And you know what I said? I said, God, make me like Brody. 
He hasn't learned how to go potty outside yet, so I don't want to be that part of it. But make me like Brody in, in welcoming and in, in acknowledging people around me. You know why? Because it wasn't just his little wiggly body that was to get so excited. I watched Brooks and Caleb's and Bryce's face just light up. And I, and I thought, if I could do that for someone, like he's doing it for us, if I could do that for someone, I, I could change the world. At least my world. And so could you. So this week, WWBD, what would Brody do? Right? When you come into contact with some, well, how can we accept them? How can we help them with this? All right? Thanks for coming. Hope to see you next week. Have a great week. Too far from your grace, but you came and showed me the way. When I was a